Last week we talked about God, right? And we mentioned that God is present in the majesty and swoop of the universe as well as something as intimate and, and poignant as the blood that's coursing through our own veins. Indeed, this is the picture of God that we embrace here in The Science of Mind. Uh, we're using this book, uh, The Science of Mind textbook from Ernest Holmes, and generally uh, in Januarys every year we do the Back to Basics series. And, and so this year is no different. Last week we talked about God, one of my favorite topics, and this week we're going to talk about us, which is the other one of my favorite topics. <laughs> and, uh, and what I loved about LaRonda's song is it really captures what's going on between the two. It's not just God out there, it's God firmly seated right here in our own human heart. So today we're going to talk about God, and I'm going to take a little different tactic. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about a creation myth here. Um, for those of you uh, maybe a little familiar with the Jewish tradition, in the, in the Middle Ages, in the 16th century, uh, a fellow named Isaac Luria was doing a little work in, in the Kabbalah in terms of doing some Bible interpretations. And his followers asked him if he wouldn't mind, and I love this, it sounds like such a simple thing, his followers asked him, would you mind explaining the first sentence in the Bible? In, in the Jewish Old Testament, which is, of course, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, okay, so it is a little bit of a tall task. And what I love about the Kabbalah is it was not intended to be interpreted literally. That was when uh, the Bible really was accepted as a metaphor. You know, it, the history of, um, of life itself tends to go back and forth on these issues. So this was absolutely meant as a metaphor, but I think it's a beautiful one. So um, he wrote that Ein Sof, or the Endless One, that was what he called God in, in this treatise, created the world in order to understand itself better. Because it was infinite, Ein Sof was also formless and without purpose. It existed as pure energy. Ein Sof therefore resolved to create something with both form and purpose, human beings and a world, really for its own amusement, to express its own understanding and its own joy in living. Luria theorized that because Ein Sof's energy had filled up the entire universe previous to the creation of humanity, that Ein Sof's first action actually was a withdrawal. In order to make room for creation, Ein Sof first had to create a vessel, a void inside itself, a space in which to make something out of nothing. So Ein Semp attempted to fill this vessel it had created with its light, but being somewhat new to creating universes, catastrophe struck and the vessel shattered. The breaking of the vessel destroyed the ordered universe that Ein Sof had begun to create. Tiny pieces of the vessel, like shards of glass, scattered and brought chaos to the universe. The masculine and feminine aspects of Ein Sof divided. And when the shards of the vessel began to fall, they brought forth sparks of Ein Sof's life itself. Together, the shards and the sparks fell into what would become material reality or the human world. And so in place of the harmonious world made in perfect balance that Ein Sof had imagined, uh, it was a broken world filled with scattered sparks of divine light. Lurianic Kabbalah requires that human beings uh, are here to liberate these sparks of life through spiritual study and through performing mitzvahs or, or small human kindnesses. 
And only when all the sparks are freed will Ein Self become completely whole again, ushering in the perfect world that Ein Self had originally designed. Okay, so now why do you think I like this one? I like this one primarily for two reasons. One, I love, I totally love the idea that God created all of this for joy, right? For no other reason than to self-explore within that framework of utter joy. So our purpose here is joy. <laughs> our purpose here is to elevate joy to you know the grandest art form we can so that God gets to experience that joy. The other thing I really love about it is that we are indispensable in this notion of creation, right? In this notion of creation, God's just laying about in disarray. <laughs> and it is through us, it is through our own experiences of joy, it is through us doing small works of kindness to other people that we gather up this divine creative material, this light, this joy, this peace, we gather it up to bring wholeness to the affairs of the universe once again. Now, it doesn't take away from the perspective that God in itself is whole and perfect at all times, right? Because the very seeds of perfection are here for us to plant, for us to round up. And I think that is one of the reasons that I love this explanation of creation so much. It really portrays the power that we have at bringing good into the world. And it also specifically addresses what we know to be true in the science of mind, that it is our thoughts that are creative. These divine sparks of life, what are they? <laughs> it's us, of course. It's us. It's our own ability to create something out of nothing. It's our own ability to bring about more joy, more love through the power of our own mind. All right. Now, my question, usually when I get to this point in my Sunday talk, some of you are wondering, okay, so, you know, when's the shoe going to drop? And it's going to drop right now. Because you would think, if I have this power, if I have this creative ability, if the spark of the divine is within me, then why is not my life perfect and harmonious day in and day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Yeah, thanks, yeah. <laughs> I was sort of waiting for that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, the trouble with this whole thing, I think is, uh, in fact, Sharon, didn't you say the magic phrase, uh, as uh, uh, change your thinking and, and change your life? The trouble is, I don't even know what my thinking is half the time. Do you know what I mean? I mean, now, Obviously, you know, I am a man of intention. I try to be very intentional in what I do and what I say. And, and when I think I'm sticking in those intentions, I do a relatively good job, right? Uh, I have a, a good spiritual practice. I have a, you know, a list of goals and intentions and things like that. And when I'm focused, things go well and I'm on track. But I got to tell you, I would say even working on it pretty hard as I do, Probably half the time, I don't have a clue what's going on in my head. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, you're driving down the street, you're watching TV, you're playing with the kids. Are you really thinking absolutely intentionally? Are you really holding on to the present moment and knowing the thoughts that will be productive for you and discarding the ones that wouldn't be productive for you? Probably not. And what disturbs me about this whole process, and probably disturbs you as well, is if I'm not conscious of my thoughts, if I don't have a good deal of intention with it, then where did these thoughts come from? 
And I have this little suspicion that they came from Madison Avenue and advertising that's aimed at me. I, I have the feeling that they came from uh, being a nerdy kid in high school that, that was told he wasn't very popular and likable. Uh, I have the feeling that it was uh, thoughts that were told to me over and repeatedly from parents and grandparents. I have the feeling that if I'm not pretty intentional in my thoughts, what's going around in my head is somebody else's thoughts. Which leads me to today's jokes. <laughs> All right. So a fellow was unable to attend the funeral after his father passed away, and this son lived far away, so he called his brother and told him, would you please do something nice for dad? Just send me the bill. I can't be there. Just do something nice for dad and send me the bill. So later, after the service had concluded, a few weeks later, he got a bill for $200, which he paid. And the next month, he got another bill for $200, which he also paid, just figuring it, you know, was something incidental around the service or, um, you know, whatever. But bills for $200 kept arriving every month. And finally, the man called his brother again to find out what was going on. Well, said the brother, you asked me to do something nice for dad, so I rented him a suit. <laughs> <laughs> if we do not have some clarity around our intentions, it is, the, it is as though we're just turning our life over to someone else. Do you know what I mean? If we do not have the clarity within our own heart to have intentions about what we want, what we want to have happen, some specificity around what it's to look like, how I'm supposed to feel about it, if we do not do those things, it's just like the fellow in this story. He's just saying, you know, do something nice and bill me later. I got to tell you, this is dangerous, right? <laughs> If we let other people's thoughts be the thoughts that are driving our reality, where are we going to end up? We'll be lucky if it's just a bill for $200 coming every month. It could be a divine mess. And in fact, Ernest Holmes in this chapter talks about what happens. It, it isn't that, that somehow we give up our power. The power is still there. Here's what he says. In our ignorance of the truth, we have misused the highest power we possess. And so great is this power, so complete is our freedom in the use of it, so absolute the domain of law through it, that the misuse of this power has brought upon us the very conditions from which we suffer. It is our own power that creates the very nightmares that occasionally we live with. It is our own use of the one mind through our creative power in, in our individual mind. It is that that manifests as everything that we see on this planet. Our view of the world, our, our outlook, our worldview. And so is it any wonder if we're not on track, if we don't have some intentional thinking, we're going to get everything from soup to nuts. And a lot of times it looks more like nuts. <laughs> okay. So I want to use maybe just a few examples of where we can get sidelined. And, and, and I know I've been doing really quite a bit of counseling over the last couple of months. A lot of people 
really are going through some things right now. People are out of work. People are having difficulty with loved ones. Um, uh, you know, money is being stretched in kind of crazy ways in a lot of families. And so I wanted to take a couple examples here. One example might be, let's say that someone is out of work. Now, of course, people who are out of work most likely want to get a job again. But I wonder what kind of thoughts are really being aimed at us. Now, if we're very intentional, we can set ourselves up for success here, right? If we're very intentional, we can say, you know, I'm no different today than I was a year ago when I, you know, got laid off or whatever. And so I know that I'm qualified. I know that the perfect job is there for me. Who knows? Maybe there's a raise in it for me. You know, maybe you can even one-up yourself. But certainly with some intention, you can very clearly say, you know, I'm just as highly skilled as ever. That job I had for 15 years, even a better one is on the corner. What do I care if the rest of the world is having a bit of uh, joblessness right now? I absolutely know my own power, and a job is mine. But you know what? A lot of the people I've been counseling with lately don't have that resolve. And what I'm hearing a lot of is, you know, I'm really just too old to get a job. You know, I'm, I'm in my 50s now. People are looking for younger workers. People want more of a vigorous uh, commitment. Um, you know, and, and, and plus I've been out of work for a whole year now. What are people going to think about that? I'm probably not very employable. I'm not qualified. You know, if only I had a better education, really. You know, people who are overqualified these days are the ones that are getting the jobs because they have the experience and they have the education. Do you see where I'm going with this? And when we have these train of thoughts, when we're diminishing ourselves, when we're making ourselves smaller, when we're discounting ourselves, the universe uses that same message to paint a picture of what's to come. So then it's not surprising when you don't get the call for the follow-up interview. You know, it's, it's not really surprising that in the interview you feel all choked up and can't really, you know, talk very well. You, you can't really show how well you would do in this job. It's not surprising, I think, that if our thoughts are filled with smallness and failure, that we will begin to get smaller <laughs> and experience some failure. It's just the nature, really, of the way things work. Similarly, um, you know, quite a few people have come to me lately with relationship issues. And, and I suppose sometimes being out of work in relationship issues might even go hand in hand. I suspect that there may be a connection there. But again, if we have some resolve around our intentions, right? In any relationship, it's Ein Sof talking to Ein Sof, getting back to Luria again. It is one of the sparks of God absolutely in discussion with another one of those sparks from God. And if you go with it from that intention, there is nothing that cannot be resolved. If we care enough about each other and are willing to do what's necessary, every relationship can be successful. But I got to tell you, when I hear things like, I'm unlovable, you know, I'm just too tired to work this hard at a relationship anymore, you know, or, or for people who are absolutely not in a long-term relationship, things like, uh, uh, you know, dating is the worst thing on the planet. I just can't go through that again, right? When you hear messages like this and are repeating them often enough in your brain, they are true for you. 
It's like you have accepted that idea from Madison Avenue from watching too many episodes of Friends or what, you know, whatever it was. You have accepted that craziness of relationship as true for you, and therefore, I predict it will be true for you. So how do we begin, first of all, becoming more aware of what's going on in our brain? And second of all, how do we make changes? You know, when we realize we're having a little pity party and, and that, you know, we've only invited ourselves to it. <laughs> you know, how can we invite more people in? How can we have it not be just about sad me or, or poor me or small me or unemployable me? How can we change those thoughts into something that are going to be more powerful? Something that a potential employer or a potential boyfriend or a potential girlfriend will actually actually go, wow, this is interesting, as opposed to, yeah. <laughs> okay. This is the beginning of my homework suggestion for the week. What I would like us all to do this week is nothing more than just a bit of an inventory around our thoughts, okay? We've got a couple more weeks in this series, and I'm going to give you a lot of concrete, useful, and fun tools for changing the thinking part of it. But I want to suggest for this week, we can't change it if we don't know what it is. And so what I'd like us to do this week is find an area in your life that has a few rough edges. You know, when, when, the, when the, the jar cracked and, uh, and some chaos entered into the world, I think you got a little share of it, just like I got a little share of it. And so if there's something going on in your life that isn't the way you want, that looks a little chaotic, frustrating, something that's really bugging you, I want to challenge you to actually write down, if you would, as many of the thoughts around that situation you can. If you're out of work, I want you to list all of the, all of the thoughts you have about that. You know, whether it's eminently qualified for a great new job, or whether it's too old to ever find work again. Do you know what I mean? I just want you to write down what your thoughts are around areas in your life where you're having some issues right now. And that's, that's all I'm asking for this week. But I want you, as you're doing it, to really see the possibility of intention here. Because intentional thought, thought on purpose, is always going to be more important than when we just pick up the thoughts from other people. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we're kind of imprinted so that we can be on autopilot, right? So that we can drive and, and attempt to do hands-free telephoning at the same time, right? We're, we're programmed to do more than one thing at a time. But that sort of loop that goes on in the background, I don't even know how much of that is you. Intentional thought, however, is absolutely you. So when we begin over the rest of this month to supplement these automatic thoughts, supplement and replace them with intentional thoughts of really what you do want to experience, the truth absolutely that you know it, truth with a capital T, instead of just kind of what's come for you, I think you're going to really notice the difference. And I like to look at this as, in fact, here's another metaphor for you. Let's say you're being treated by a friend to the most expensive, lavish, beautiful restaurant in town. You get dressed, ride a limousine down to the restaurant, seated, everything's perfect, gorgeous tablecloth. The waiter gives you the menu and you say, Oh, I don't really need the menu. I'll just have the soup of the day. 
When we are on automatic, we are telling the universe, I will have the soup of the day. Even though we are in a restaurant that has more pages to the menu than you can imagine. So I want to leave you with that thought. As you begin examining your own thoughts, most of those are the soup of the day thoughts. Nothing wrong with them. And in fact, many times I order the soup of the day when I go to a restaurant. Sometimes it's lovely, but I want to know what it is first. So your job this week is to find out what it is. What is the soup of the day that's running through your mind about a series of issues that are bugging you right now? Because I think that will be the start to making a change in them. So we're going to learn more about that later in the week. I want to close with uh, another quote from Ernest Holmes. This is how he ends the second chapter on the way it works. He says, Let us begin today to accept more good than we have experienced yesterday and to know that we shall reap a harvest of fulfilled desires. The time must come when we shall have left behind all apparent evil, when it shall be rolled up like a scroll and numbered with the things which were only once thought to be. Let us realize and work with this sound knowledge and perfect faith that as high as we shall make our mark in mind, so high shall its outward manifestation be in our material world. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing that I call life. And what I know about life is that it is irrepressible. It is those shards of the divine that are present here for us to see and to understand and to gather up. It is our divine nature to be that spark of the divine, gathering to us love and light and joy to be part of God exploring itself. And I know that this is true in general, and so I know it means me. I know that my life is effervescent with the light of the universe, with truth and with wisdom. And I know that on this day and each day forward, I am ever more aware of the thoughts going on in my mind and ever more able to intentionally use my mind towards right thinking. That is, thinking that is useful for me. And as it is true for me, I know it's true for each person in this room, that this week, as part of this homework assignment, whether it's on a conscious level or even an unconscious level, the awareness of the thoughts going around in each person's mind is ever more clear, allowing each person here to have a better understanding of what their thoughts are, what they're ushering, what they're inviting into their own lives through these thoughts. Also, an awareness of Uh, planned thought or intentional thought being ever so powerful than simply accepting the soup of the day. And so I am grateful for this knowledge, grateful in absolutely knowing that seed of perfection, that light of creation that is present in each person here. And with a lot of love, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law, knowing that it is so. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.